Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Three, two, one. But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here. Friday, September 24th. 2021 people i hope everybody is having a great day and i hope everybody is ready for another great weekend of college football it is week four you look at the schedule you have two super marquee games wisconsin notre dame arkansas texas a&m and then after that there's a big drop off but you know what we only get 13 of these college football weekends a year we're going to enjoy every single one of them so here is the rundown for today's show we're going to open with a segment that i have been chewing on throughout the course of this week. And it is the things that we know about college football right now. I'm at five. Once I start talking, I make it to six or seven because you know how I get, I go a little crazy. I go a little cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs sometimes. But I got five things that I think we know about college football right now because this is the time of the year where you really do start to get a feel for these teams and these coaches and these players. And so I have Five things that I think I know about college football right now. Uh, We are at that point in the year where we're learning real things. We will talk about that. From there, we will transition to the week four college football preview as I talk A&M Arkansas, as I talk Notre Dame Wisconsin, as I talk all the big games in college football this year, Florida, Tennessee, LSU, LSU, Mississippi State, on and on and on and on and on. Again, it doesn't look like a great weekend on paper. But first of all, we only get 13 of these weekends. We're going to enjoy every single one of them. And then secondly, on top of that, every time we think that a weekend doesn't look great on paper, that's when craziness happens, and that's when college football becomes college football, and it proves to be the greatest sport in the world. So with that said, let's get to the topic of the day. And as I said a minute ago, the topic of the day to me is a segment that I've been working on throughout the week What do we know about college football right now? Because it is officially, as I said, September 24th. We're about a month into the season. Week zero was just about a month ago. And we're starting to get a real feel for these teams. And listen, I love college football as much as anybody else. I prepare in the offseason as much as anybody else. Um, But really, week one, week two, we're kind of guessing, right? You're kind of guessing. You're kind of trying to figure it out. You're trying to figure out what happened last year, who teams lost, who they return, what coordinators left, what coaches left for the NFL, which first-year coaches are going to have success, which teams are going to – like you, 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 you think about a million things and you get a lot of stuff right, but naturally you get a lot of stuff wrong. There are a lot of things that I did not anticipate three weeks into this college football season. Credit to Florida. They look way better than I thought. Arkansas, frankly, looks better than I thought. Auburn, Penn State, both look better than I thought. They just played last Saturday. On the flip side, a little bit underwhelmed by Iowa State, a little bit underwhelmed by most of the Pac-12 not named Oregon. And so this is the time of year where you're really starting to figure out, okay, what do we actually know? And so with that, I want to give you five things, maybe six, maybe seven, we'll see what happens, that we know right now in college football this second today the morning of September 24th. The first thing that we know, I do not believe there are any great unbeatable teams in college football this year. Not saying we won't have an undefeated national champion, not saying somebody can't run the table, but right now to me, through three weeks, through a quarter of the season, there is no team to me 
that looks like on any given Saturday, they cannot be beaten by an inferior opponent. And it's interesting because we do hit this point sometimes in a college football calendar, two, three weeks into the season, you just kind of see a team and you're like, it's going to take a lot to beat that team. Last year, Alabama, they play Texas A&M, they destroy Texas A&M. The next week, Texas A&M beats Florida. And you say to yourself, wow, Alabama's really good. It's going to take a lot to beat them. Year before that, LSU, Joe Burrow, they go to Texas, they win at Texas, they start winning SEC games. You say to yourself, it's going to take a lot to beat LSU. That same year, by the way, Ohio State, Justin Fields gets eligible, starts throwing five touchdowns a game. You're like, Ohio State's really, really, really good. They're not going to lose at the earliest until the playoff. This year, I do not believe that we have that. And I think part of it, again, goes back to what I said about the preseason. I think when we came into the season, everybody, certainly myself, absolutely included, felt like, okay, well, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, they're all breaking in new quarterbacks. But come on, it's Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State. They recruit at such a high level. They develop so well. Uh, they have so many resources. They have such great coaching staffs. There's no way they're going to fall off. Only here we are, and none of the three look particularly good. I take that back. Alabama has actually looked really good, but they still easily could have lost in the swamp. And so let's start with Alabama. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on any of these teams because I talked about all of them on Monday's show. But you look at Alabama. They're a really, really, really good team. They are also a team that has lost a ton of talent over the last two or three years, both on the coaching staff and more importantly, on the field. I think it's easy to look at this year's team and say, well, it's Alabama. They recruit so well. They bring back... No, think about everything that they have lost over the last four, uh, over the last two years. Last two years, they have lost two quarterbacks who were top 15 NFL picks, Tua Tonga Viola, Mac Jones. Now, we can argue Tua might not be a great NFL quarterback. We can argue Mac Jones is a little bit limited, but those were guys that were in the system in Tua's case for three years, in Mac Jones' for, case for four years, and they were veterans. They got it. They knew what it was about. And oh, by the way, they were surrounded by insane talent. Najee Harris is the freak of freaks at running back, and they had four first-round wide receivers over the last two years. Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs in 2019, 2020, excuse me, NFL draft, and then last year's NFL draft, Devontae Smith, who, oh, I don't know, won a Heisman Trophy and Jalen Waddle. And so I think we all kind of just thought, well, they have so much talent, they'll figure it out. Well, they've also lost four first-round wide receivers in the last two years, two quarterbacks in the first round in the last two years and a running back in the first round in the last two years and you realize you know what that is a huge talent train and so I think Bryce Young has been really impressive but I think we also have to sit there and say freshman quarterback not as much talent around him they couldn't move the ball against Florida State not saying they won't get better because they will not saying that they can't go undefeated because they can but what I'm just saying is they have a lot of tough games, especially with how tough the SEC West is looking going forward. By the way, next week they got Ole Miss. Ole Miss looks really freaking good. So Alabama, to me, I think they should still be the favorite, but I don't think they are unbeatable the way that they have been in years past, where you kind of just sit back and say, nobody in the SEC is even going to challenge them. Uh, and nobody's going to challenge them, period, until they get to the playoff and they play Clemson or Ohio State or somebody like that. Because they've already been challenged and they easily could have lost to Florida. Beyond Alabama, we've talked about some of these other teams. Ohio State is clearly not unbeatable because they've already lost a game. Uh, they lost to Oregon at home in a game where their defense couldn't stop anybody. And that's the story with Ohio State. Ohio State, by the way, will have to play a backup quarterback against Akron this weekend. Doesn't seem like a big picture issue with C.J. Stroud, their starting quarterback. But I just bring it up to say, Ohio State already has a loss. They're clearly not unbeatable. And I think the Big Ten is about as good as it has ever been, which we will get into in a moment. Um, and Ohio State's clearly not unbeatable. Could run the table. Could still win the Big Ten. I don't see it happening, though. Same with Clemson. Clemson is not good at all. Ohio State, by the way, 118th in total defense. They can't stop anybody. Now they got to play Michigan State, Michigan, Rutgers, Maryland. There's a lot of good teams in the Big Ten this year. Penn State. Not saying Ohio State's going to lose to all of them. But the way Ohio State's playing, somebody's going to clip them. Clemson. Listen, I talked about Clemson. I've crushed Clemson over the last three or four days. And I think it's deservedly so. They can't move the ball. And I told you last year they couldn't move the ball either. They had Trevor Lawrence. He covered it up. 
But you look at Clemson, they already have a loss, zero offensive touchdowns against Georgia. But was what, what was much more concerning was the effort against Georgia Tech a few days ago in which they barely held on to beat Georgia Tech at home. They go on the road to NC State this week. We'll break down the game in a little bit. But this just does not feel like a team that is a playoff caliber team. And so when Clemson and Ohio State already have a loss and Alabama easily could have lost at the Swamp, it tells me I don't know if there's anybody that's unbeatable this year. Maybe the answer is Georgia, but even Georgia. By the way, they were my national championship pick, right? I love Georgia. How about them dogs? How about them dogs? But at the same time, they didn't have an offensive touchdown against Clemson. So we can't sit here and say that they're dominant, that they overwhelm people with talent. Oregon, I think, is really good, but come on overwhelm people with talent that is not that team and so to me I think this is a season where there is more parity across the sport than there has been in a long time I don't believe that there is any great dominant unbeatable team which means that every weekend is going to give us craziness as it has through three weeks second thing the SEC is about as deep as I can ever remember it and part of it is Alabama just is not that unbeatable team this year. But it, it, let's take out Alabama. They're still awesome. They're still the number one team in the country. I'm talking about them as if they're one and two. They are the deserved number one team in the country. And to their credit, they just went on the road and won at the Swamp. 100,000 people, crazy fans, 11 million people watched that game, by the way. More people than basically any NBA game all season watched that Alabama-Florida game this past weekend. So let's just put aside Alabama because they're always awesome. But I think the thing with Alabama is this SEC is deeper than I can ever remember because I came into the year, Alabama's going to be really good. I think Georgia's going to be really good. Then there's going to be a pretty big drop-off. A&M loses Kellen Mond. Auburn has a new coach. Tennessee has a new coach. Um, I don't know. Arkansas is still in the rebuild process, all that stuff. And that's not the case at all through a couple weeks. This is as deep of an SEC as I can remember. Alabama's awesome. But then, let's just use that Alabama-Florida game. I thought Georgia was going to steamroll through the SEC East. That was part of the reason that I picked Georgia to win the national championship. The East is way down. Tennessee has a new coach. South Carolina has a new coach. Kentucky, we'll see. They're talented. They're good. But they're not really beating Georgia. And then Florida's going to be way down. Well, does Florida look down to you? Because to me, they did not look down. Credit to Florida. I give them credit. I crushed them all offseason. I think they are a much improved team relative to what I was expecting this year. So even just in the East, I think there are two legitimate top 10 teams in the country, Georgia and Florida. That doesn't even include the fact that Tennessee is playing hard for, uh, for Josh Heupel. Now, they're not going to win 10 games, but I think they play harder than they have in the past. I think their offense is more dynamic than it has been in the past, and I think they're going to, on the right day, trip up somebody because I do believe as this offense gets more comfortable under Josh Heupel, they will continue to have success moving the ball, throwing the ball, and there's going to be a day where they win a game 40-27, 40-38, against somebody that just comes in not prepared to play, and maybe that's not even the right way to put it because their defense is actually playing very well right now. So that's just in the East. Then we get to the West. And my, oh my, I don't know if I can ever remember a division in college football as deep as the SEC West is right now. Already talked about Alabama. We don't need to talk about them anymore. Uh, but you look around the rest of college, uh, the rest of this division. Name me the team that you're, you see on the schedule and you're like, oh, we're beating them. No problem. Because, I mean, I don't see it. I really don't see it. First of all, Ole Miss is terrifying. People can say otherwise. People can joke about Lane Kiffin. People can do whatever. I'm telling you this. Ole Miss plays at Alabama next week, I know for a fact. I was on Alabama radio on Thursday afternoon. Alabama fans are terrified of Ole Miss right now because Ole Miss is the type of team, listen, I don't think they're going 12-1 and and going to the college football playoff, but because of the way they play, number one in the country in total offense, over 630 yards per game, over 52 points per game because of the way they play they can beat anybody on any given day and that is terrifying if you're a team not saying they're going 12 and 1 but the way that they play you can't prepare for it there's no way in practice you can simulate what they do and I'm telling you Alabama fans are mortified of what Lane Kiffin is bringing to Bryant-Denny Stadium next week 
On top of Ole Miss, who I don't think is going undefeated, but they could beat anybody on any given night, look at the rest of the division. Arkansas, better than we thought. Destroy Texas A&M at the point of attack. Tex- or Texas, excuse me. Sorry, A&M fans. Sorry, A&M fans. Destroy Texas at the point of attack. Arkansas didn't do anything fancy against Texas. They just took the ball and ran right at them. And Texas had no answers. That translates everywhere. You play defense, you can run the ball. Doesn't matter if you're on the road, if you're at home. You can do that against anybody. And so Arkansas is a team to me that is going to be difficult to beat all season long. Auburn, I'll take it a step further. I give Auburn a ton of credit. First-year head coach, Brian Harson. he tests positive for COVID. He has to miss a couple weeks of practice. They look great. I said it last week in the preview show. I know that in the first two weeks, they played Alabama State and Akron, but they won by a combined score of 122 to 10. I give any team credit that just destroys the teams that they're supposed to destroy, and that's what Auburn does. And Auburn, I believe, has an identity now, something that they never had under Gus Malzahn, except for sheer insanity, which was Gus Malzahn's identity, highs, lows, in between, beat bad, you know, beat the teams you're not supposed to, lose to the teams that you are supposed to beat. Well, now they have an identity. They run the ball, they play real deep defense, they're disciplined, still don't trust Bo Nix to win the big, big, big games, but I like what I have seen from Auburn. Texas A&M, we kind of even forget about Texas A&M. They're 3-0, and ranked top 10 in the country, we don't even talk about them. And they have some of the best skill position talent in the country with Anaya Smith, Jalen Wattemeyer, uh, Isaiah Spiller. LSU I'm not ready to give up on by any stretch of the imagination. They have way too much talent. We're going to find out really quick this weekend. They play at Mississippi State. You don't win that game, Coach O. I'm sorry, buddy, but you gots to go. Because an LSU coach, a national championship caliber coach, that's a game that you're supposed to win. But part of it is Mississippi State's maybe not bad as well. Mississippi State, by the way, destroyed NC State, which we're going to get into the ACC momentarily. NC State's not a bad team, and Mississippi State destroyed them. And so I look at the SEC, you're talking about 7, 8, 9, 10 teams. Who in that league is a total walkover other than Vanderbilt, who's playing harder for their first-year head coach, South Carolina, who's playing hard for their first-year head coach, uh, you know, maybe Missouri, but even Missouri was competitive at Kroger Field at Kentucky. And then that West, I'm just telling you, there is not a single game on that schedule that you sit there and say, we got it. No problem. We're good. The SEC and the West specifically is as deep as I remember it. The third thing that I know right now in college football, right now, September 24th, 2021, the Big Ten is also as deep as I can ever remember it. And the Big Ten has taken so much flack over the years for their slow, three yards in a cloud of dust. But what I will tell you, and I may do just a separate segment on this, when Urban Meyer came to this league nine years ago now, he changed the paradigm. Urban Meyer's like, we're playing fast, we're recruiting nationally, uh, we're, uh, we're, we're recruiting everybody, we're recruiting committed players. This was before the early signing period. So he came in and stole a couple guys from other Big Ten schools. It was like culture shock. And Urban Meyer made everybody in the Big Ten adjust. And I think we are finally starting to see the dividends of what Urban Meyer did by pushing everybody else in the league. We talked about it at the time. Obviously, I did not have a podcast at the time. But Urban Meyer brought an SEC mentality to the Big Ten. This is cutthroat. This is survival of the fittest. We get paid three, four, five million dollars a year. I ain't slowing down for nobody, and neither should you. Well, what is the what is the repercussions of that? The Big Ten, I'm telling you people, is about as deep as I can ever remember it. And now part of it is, I don't think, I think part of what stands out is that Ohio State isn't so dominant at the top that you start to see that gap closing. But think about what we've seen from the Big Ten so far this year. Because I'm going to tell you, Penn State's a really good football team. I don't think they're going to win the national championship. I don't think they're unbeatable, as we talked about in the first part of this segment. They're a really good football team, though. They have two wins over ranked teams, including a win at Camp Randall. Not a lot of teams go to Camp Randall and win games, okay? So Penn State's really good. Iowa, at the very least, plays real defense, and they make you make mistakes. They forced eight turnovers in three games. You can force two and a half turnovers a game every game. You can beat anybody on the schedule, including you get to a bowl game, you get to a playoff game, and you're playing teams with that are more athletic, more talented, recruit a different level. You make other teams make mistakes, you're good in my book. I'll say this, I'm going to get some flack for it. I may look stupid, maybe even as early by the end of this weekend. 
I don't think Michigan is terrible this year. Harbaugh has gotten back to his roots. Harbaugh has gotten back to running the ball between the tackles. Number one rushing team in college football right now. Michigan has destroyed the three teams that they have played on their schedule. And again, I get it. They haven't really played anybody when you look at it in the grand scheme of things. They played Western Michigan, beat them 47-14, beat Washington 31-10, beat Northern Illinois 63-10. But when you are talking about the top scoring teams in college football, you know who's the number three scoring team in college football right now? It's Michigan. And it goes back to what I talked about a few weeks ago before that uh, Washington game. Harbaugh revamped the staff. Harbaugh revamped basically everything. And I'll give him credit. I think this was the first offseason where Jim Harbaugh had to look in the mirror and he wasn't the golden child. He wasn't the savior. He goes to Stanford and it's my way or the highway. You guys stink. Wins there. Goes to San Francisco. Wins right away. Can do whatever he wants. Comes to Michigan. Wins right away. Can do whatever he wants. This was the first offseason that he had to look in the mirror and say, I do not have all the answers. I need help. He revamps his staff. He revamps his style of play. Now, we're going to learn really quick because they play Rutgers this weekend. Rutgers, at the very least, is playing good defense. And then next week, they play Wisconsin. (laughs) I just talked about Wisconsin. They're another team in the Big Ten. We're going to find out how good they are this week when they play Notre Dame. You fall to one and two. uh, Not a good deal for Wisconsin. But Wisconsin's a good team. They play real defense. Number one rush defense in college football. So how about that? Forget the fact that Wisconsin's playing Notre Dame this weekend. Next weekend, we have Wisconsin-Michigan, number one rush defense versus number one rush offense. But those two teams can play. And I'll take it a step further when it pertains to the Big Ten. Michigan State's good, just beat Miami. Maryland, I actually think, is pretty good. Another guy off that Nick Saban coaching tree, Mike Loxley is the head coach there, and they fling the ball all over the field. Tua's younger brother is the quarterback there. And I sit there and say, that is not a bad football team in Maryland. And like I said, Rutgers with Greg Schiano, they got some new life. This is the deepest that I can ever remember the Big Ten. I'm telling you, they got six, seven really good teams in that league, including Michigan, including Michigan State, including Maryland. And like the SEC, once they start playing each other, we're going to say, oh, that team was overrated. No, maybe they're good, and they're just playing other really good teams. Number four on the things that I know about college football right now. As deep as the SEC is, As deep as the Big Ten is, the ACC is about as worse of a Power Five conference as I can ever remember. And it's interesting because I have argued for years. Like, I've argued, I don't think the, like, everyone crushes the Pac-12. I think the Pac-12 in most years has four, five pretty decent eight and four, nine and three type teams. The ACC is the conference that's awful. They just have Clemson to kind of cover up the mess that is the conference. And this has been my argument about USC for years. Everyone thinks the Pac-12 is terrible. If if USC was just competing at the level that USC should be at, and by the way, there was a great article in The Athletic on Thursday about USC and what they need to do to get back. If USC was just doing what USC did, it would cover up the fact that there were no other great teams in that conference. Clemson covers up the fact that the ACC is terrible. Well, this year, there ain't no covering up because Clemson is terrible itself. And so you look at this league, think about how bad this league is. Three teams in the preseason that were ranked. Clemson, 2-1, and one, didn't score an offensive point against Georgia. Easily could have lost to Georgia Tech. By the way, don't tell me Georgia Tech's good because they lost to Northern Illinois. Northern Illinois, the same team that lost 63-7 to to Michigan yesterday, last week. Um, so they're not good. Georgia Tech's not good, that's for sure. On top of that, look at the rest of the league. Miami is 1-2, and two, destroyed by Alabama, destroyed by Michigan State. I don't think Manny Diaz is going to survive this year. And I'm not Mr. Like, I'm not one of two things. I'm not Mr. Like, rush to judgment, fire everybody, but I'm also Mr. I'm not Mr. I don't talk about another man's job. Why not talk about another man's job? If he stinks at his job, people tell me I stink at my job all the time. You're talking about my job. Well, I'm going to talk about Manny Diaz's job. He ain't getting the job done. I think he's like 14 and 12 since he took over as Miami's head coach. I don't know if he survives this year. Florida State, 0-3. Don't know if Mike Norvell survives this year. Now, I, I, I think Mike Norvell needs some more time. I think Florida State can't just keep firing coaches every two years and hoping it gets figured out. I think Mike Norvell needs more time. I think he deserves more time. Heck, I thought Willie Taggart deserved more time two years ago when he got fired. 
But Florida State's 0-3. Miami's 1-2. Clemson isn't very good. So where does that leave the conference? Virginia Tech? They just lost at West Virginia, which is what? Like the fifth best team in the, in the Big 12? Um, who else? North Carolina? They can't stop anybody. They can score a lot. They can't stop anybody. NC State? NC State lost to Mississippi State convincingly at home. Mississippi State's what? Sixth best team in the SEC? Seventh best team in the SEC? I don't know. But NC State got dominated by that team. It was actually in Starkville, so I take that back. But still, NC State thinks, you know who might be what a legitimately good team in the ACC? Boston College. Boston College, we think, might be pretty good. But guess what? They're a two-point underdog at home against Missouri this weekend. And so I bring it up. The ACC is as bad as I can ever remember a power conference. Usually a power conference has at least one great team to cover up for all the bad teams, or they have three or four good teams like the Pac-12. This year they have none of them. Finally, fifth thing, I just said Pac-12. Let's talk about the Pac-12. I think Oregon right now has a clear shot to the playoff. I think there's one great team in the Pac-12, and I do think Oregon's great. And then there's everybody else. And it's interesting, right? Because, again, one thing about me, I'll admit when I'm right, I'll admit when I'm wrong, but I don't believe narratives just for the sake of being, just for the sake of narratives. When everybody was saying Alabama's unbeatable after one week because they destroyed Miami, I was like, ah, I think they're good. I don't think they're unbeatable. Unbeatable? Unbeatable is a strong word. And I said the same thing with UCLA after that LSU win. They beat LSU, they win convincingly, and I see people like, well, this is the answer for the Pac-12. UCLA, they're the team. They're going to get everybody. And it's like, I mean, I get it. It's kind of like a brand that was kind of relevant 20 years ago, and Chip Kelly's a former really successful college coach. So I understand why you're trying to sell me on UCLA being good. But here's the bottom line. We all know how you get to the college football playoff and compete for national championships. You get there by stacking one great recruiting class on top of the other. It's what Alabama's done for years. It's what Ohio State's done for years. It's what Georgia's done for years. Oklahoma's starting to do that. Notre Dame is starting to do that. UCLA has like the 60th ranked recruiting class in the country over the last two, three, four years. So I never bought them being great, but I always bought Oregon. I thought Oregon could be really good this year. I thought it came down to Anthony Brown at quarterback. Oregon's a real team. And I'm just telling you, Pac-12, Pac-12 after dark, they're weird. They're going to lose a game at some point. I don't think anybody's going undefeated this year except maybe Georgia in the regular season. But I'm telling you right now, Oregon is a really good team, and it is because of the way that they recruit. I thought it showed in the Ohio State game, and I talked about it after that Ohio State game. But you look at that game. That was the first time outside of when Ohio State played Alabama in the playoff that I saw a team that was definitively faster, more athletic, quicker, quicker t- quicker twitch, uh, more physical. That was Oregon. And that was without many of their best players. Kayvon Thibodeau, who is supposed to be back this weekend. Justin Flo, Noah Sewell gets hurt in the middle of the game. Oregon's for real. And I'm telling you, they are the only team left in the Pac-12 that can make it. And I do think they'll make it. I don't know if I, you know, if I put them ahead of Alabama or Georgia as most likely to make the college football playoff. But I'm telling you, that is a really, really, really talented team. And the rest of the Pac-12, they're playing catch-up. I will say, I do think with the new commissioner, it's kind of what I said with the Big Ten a few minutes ago with Urban Meyer. I think the Pac-12 is going to get there. I think UCLA is in a really good place. I think Oregon is in a really good place. And I think USC is in good position to finally get a head coach. Those are three really good programs going forward. USC, I know I said it on Monday's show, they have so much talent in that program. It's just going to take the right guy. I think James Franklin, I think Urban Meyer, I think even Luke Fickle, as boring as he is, those guys come in, they're competing for a Pac-12 championship next season at USC. So those are the five things that I know right now. There is no unbeatable team. The SEC is as deep as I can ever remember it. The Big Ten is as deep as I can ever remember it. The ACC is as bad as I can ever remember it. And the Pac-12 is down to one playoff team. A couple other things that I've noticed through this year. Big 12 does nothing for me. Don't even want to talk about it. I do think there's going to be a couple teams that are potentially in the mix late for a playoff berth. Maybe a Cincinnati. Maybe a BYU off the grid. I think we're going to get playoff shakeup. I've said it since week two. 
I do think this is the year. You don't want to see Ohio State, Oklahoma, Clemson every year. This is the year we get some fresh blood in there. And then I would also say the Heisman Trophy race is wide open. Matt Corral, the quarterback at Ole Miss, is the favorite right now. I think he's a pretty solid bet going forward. All right, this is what I want to do. I want to take a quick break. I want to come back, and I want to talk about week four of college football. We will preview the big games, Notre Dame-Wisconsin, Texas A&M-Arkansas, Florida-Tennessee, and the rest of the slate. We will be right back. All right, everybody. I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. That segment went long. Surprise, surprise. What else is new? I talk a lot. Whatever. Sue me. You guys listen to this show. By the way, thank you guys for the support of this show. Uh, we are on pace to do a record number of downloads this, this, this month. That's what we call it in, in English, a month. This month we're on pace to do a record number of downloads. It's because of you guys. It's because of your support. It's because of your interest. It's because you guys are sharing it with friends and family. So thank you for your support. Uh, also, I should mention thank you for your support with the College Football Betting Podcast with Aaron Torres. Uh, those numbers continue to go up as well. That show drops every Tuesday and Thursday. Um, Monday and Thursday, I should say. Great turnout for that. I appreciate your guys' support on that. If you're not checking it out, that's fine, but now is a great time to start doing it. Also, Aaron Torres Online, where all my writing is, we have some great NFL writers on that website. Great NFL podcast, Pickin' Pigskin Winners, if you are looking for an NFL version where you talk a little bit of gambling, talk about the weekend ahead. With that said, speaking of weekend ahead, let's talk some college football week four. Because if you didn't notice with my 30-minute segment to open the show, I'm fired up for this weekend because I do believe that we are finally getting to that point where we are starting to figure out who these teams are, what they look like, who's good, who's not, this, that. Not saying Penn State's going to win a national championship, but we're three weeks in. You can't disregard what they've done either. Uh, Clemson, on the opposite side, you can't disregard what they've done either. They stink. They might get better. I don't see the path for them to being really elite a national championship contender. So we're starting to get a feel for teams. Let's get into the games themselves this weekend, week four college football. And I think we're going to get clarification on two teams in Chicago, Soldier Field, Saturday afternoon, Wisconsin and Notre Dame. And when it comes to Notre Dame, listen, I don't think it's any big state secret that I'm breaking here. They haven't looked very good over the first couple weeks of the season. They're 3-0, and but they easily could be 1-2, maybe even 0-3, um, and you look at the stats, they're kind of mind-boggling, okay? So over the course of these three games, Notre Dame, I looked it up, has a total of 1,223 yards of total offense. Why do I bring that up? It is because they have given up 1,143 yards of offense themselves. So they have outgained their three opponents by 80 total yards over three games. I'm not a math expert, but you do some quick math in your head, that comes down to oh, I don't know, about 25 more yards per game than your opposition. And here's who they've played so far. Florida State, Toledo, Purdue. It ain't exactly a run through the SEC West, okay? So you're only 80 yards better over the course of three games. It means you're not that good. And so what I want to see going into this Wisconsin game, are you able to get stops? Are you able to move the ball? And what is your identity? Because the one thing about Notre Dame over the course of this three, four-year stretch where they've been playing pretty well under Brian Kelly. We can criticize them that they don't win playoff games, all that stuff. They've made the playoff the last two years, had a 10-win season in between. But they've had an identity. They run the ball. They're physical. They're not great at the skill positions, but at least we know when they play a team that they have as much talent or more than, they're going to beat the crap out of them. And that's not what they're doing this year, and that's why this game against Wisconsin is so important. Same thing with Wisconsin. I'll tell you this. This is a big game for Wisconsin and a big game for their quarterback, Graham Mertz, specifically. First of all, just a big game for Wisconsin. You fall to one and two, and you still got Iowa on the schedule. You still got Michigan on the schedule. You still got some tough games on this schedule going forward. I mean, you know, what are you, Wisconsin? But then beyond that, let me say this. This is a huge game for Graham Mertz the quarterback at Wisconsin. And I talked about it on the college football betting show a few days ago, but Graham Mertz came in with as much hype as any quarterback prospect in the history of Wisconsin football. Highest rated quarterback to ever commit to Wisconsin. 
And in the first game last year, he was incredible. Opening night, remember the Big 12 kicked off late. They didn't kick, or the Big 10 kicked off late. They didn't kick off, I think, until the last weekend of October. Graham Mertz comes out, five touchdown passes, zero interceptions, and everybody in college football media anoints it. Oh, he's the next great thing. He's unbelievable. Ham Wisconsin, multiple national championships. Ham Graham Mertz, multiple Heismans. It's over. Wisconsin finally has a quarterback, people. Well, what happened from there? He hasn't been good. Last year, after the first game where he threw five touchdowns, the rest of the season, four touchdowns, five interceptions, not good. This year, zero touchdowns, two interceptions through three through two games this year. So I'm not great at math. But five touchdowns your first game, and then four touchdowns, seven interceptions since then, not ideal. Graham Mertz, if you're a real quarterback, you got to take care of business, especially against, by the way, a Notre Dame team. You know who's the starting quarterback at Notre Dame? The guy who Graham Mertz beat out for that job, Jack Cohn, who even said this week that it's going to be weird facing his former team. In terms of the game itself, I think it comes down to a few things. First of all, can Notre Dame stop the run? Wisconsin's best bet, take the ball out of Graham Mertz's hands. He makes mistakes. He has not been able to do what he needs to do through the air over the last couple, over the last couple games, really since dating back to last year. Take the ball out of his hands and run the ball right at Notre Dame. The great thing for Wisconsin is this. Their strength, running the ball, they're back to running the ball at a high level, top 10 nationally in rushing yards, goes directly against Notre Dame's weakness. Notre Dame 93rd nationally in rushing yards. Not great, okay? And so when I look at this game, you talk about a perfect setup for Wisconsin, run the ball right at him, take the ball out of Graham Mertz's hands, but then on the flip side, I'll say this for Wisconsin. Top five nationally in total defense, number one rush defense in college football, which I talked about a minute ago as they get set to play Michigan next week. But they can be beat over the top. We saw Penn State, a couple deep passes. So for me, it comes down to can Notre Dame, a couple deep passes, stretch out the defense, make them get outside of that tackle box. What, what are they doing? I know I sound like uh, Trent Dilfer right now, the tackle box. But like I think it comes down to can Wisconsin continue to run the ball at Notre Dame? Can Notre Dame stretch the field with the pass? And if they can, I think this will be a competitive game. I see a lot of people saying it's going to be low scoring. Wisconsin's going to win. And I think Wisconsin probably should be favored. They're a six-and-a-half-point favorite coming into this game. I do think, and this my picks are available at AaronTorresOnline.com, I do think this one might be a little bit more high scoring than people expect. I think it's something in the neighborhood of 30 to 27. The over-under is 46, so that would obviously be an over. Um, and that is my, my pick on AaronTorresOnline.com. You can see all my picks there. I think it's a little bit higher scoring, but I think what it comes down to is can Notre Dame stop the run? Can Notre Dame complete passes over the top? If they can, they'll win this game. And if they can't, they will lose. Let's get to the other mega game from the weekend, Texas A&M and Arkansas. And this one kind of has a Wisconsin-Notre Dame feel in the sense that just about everybody feels like Wisconsin's going to win a low-scoring game, and everybody is kind of picking that. Now, I didn't pick that, but you know me. I just kind of do my own thing. I live in my own little bubble. But this one feels the same. It feels like everybody is taking Arkansas plus the points. They're a five-and-a-half-point underdog. And I think everybody thinks Arkansas is going to cover the point spread. And I can't lie. I don't have, like, a unique take on this. I think Arkansas is going to keep this game very close. This is a great rivalry. It has had great games through the years. Unfortunately, recently, Arkansas has been on the wrong side of a lot of those. But you look at these two teams. First of all, Arkansas, we know what they're about. Sam Pittman is a run-the-ball-right-at-you kind of guy. And I give him so much credit, by the way. I know I talked about it a few weeks ago after Arkansas beat Texas, but what Sam Pittman has done, what Sam Pittman has done to rebuild this program in such a short amount of time, it is insane. Chad Morris went 2-10 in his first year, 2-8 in his second year before he was fired. If Arkansas wins this game, they will be 4-0, meaning that from September 1st to September 25th, Arkansas will have as many wins as they did in two years under Chad Morris, if Arkansas gets this win. Um, and I think it's going to start with the run game, eighth nationally in rushing yards. They run the ball right at you. And for Texas A&M, it's kind of simple. Can Texas A&M stop the run? And this is kind of a crazy stat talked about on the College Football Gambling Show. Texas A&M right now, number one scoring defense in college football. Nobody gives up fewer points in college football than Texas A&M top 10 nationally in total yards allowed except one thing they rank 
86th nationally in rush defense. That's insane. 86th nationally in rush defense, but number one in scoring defense, number nine in total defense. They gave up 226 yards rushing to Kent State and over 170 yards rushing to Colorado. And so it's not rocket science. If AM tightens up the run defense, they're going to have a pretty good chance. If Arkansas controls that line of scrimmage, I saw they might have two offensive linemen out for this game, then Arkansas is going to win. I would also say this is a huge game for Texas A&M quarterback Zach Calzada. And for people who don't know the details, you don't follow A&M on a day-to-day basis, Zach Calzada, backup quarterback, lost the job in fall camp to Haynes King. Haynes King gets hurt against Colorado. Zach Calzada comes in. He looks a little bit shaky, but like any quarterback on the road, it was technically a neutral site game, but it was a road game. Looks a little shaky, but last two drives, he plays really well. Drives the length of the field. There's a fumble that A&M doesn't score. Next possession gets the ball back, drives the length of the field, scores, wins the game. Looked much better last week against New Mexico. Well, this is the week. Zach Calzada, no pressure. I'm not criticizing him. I'm not punishing him. I'm not saying if he doesn't win this game, it's... What I am saying is, you come to Texas A&M to play in games like this. And you come to Texas A&M to win games like this. And so if you're the quarterback, if you're the guy, if you're as good as everybody says you were coming out of high school, come to A&M, compete at the highest level, all the other pieces are there for A&M. They got great skill position guys. Defense is obviously really talented. Zach Calzada's got to deliver. I think what this game comes down to, it's pretty simple. I just said it. Zach Calzada, can he make plays? And then if Arkansas can't run the ball, can their quarterback, K.J. Jefferson, makes plays? It's really that simple. Whichever quarterback makes more plays, that is the team that is going to win. Quickly look around the rest of college football. Fascinating one, Saturday night at the Swamp, Florida hosting Tennessee. And I'll say this, and I said it last segment with Florida, I was wrong on Florida. They were a team that coming into the year, I said like, look, I don't think they're that good. They lost Kyle Trask. They lost Kyle Pitts. They lost Kadarius Toney. I don't think they're going to be good. I think last year was the window. I think they missed the window. Uh, forget missing the window. I just missed on the pick. So where everyone says, oh, Taurus, you'll never admit when you're wrong. Uh, I was way wrong on Florida. Should have beaten Alabama last week. Well, now let's see how they handle the frustration of that loss against a tough Tennessee team. Don't think they're elite. Don't think they're going 10-2 and this year. But Tennessee can play. And even Dan Mullen admits, like Dan Mullen admitted in his press conference this week, like, I'm a little worried about my guys being able to get back up for this game coming off a frustrating loss against Alabama. When it comes to Tennessee, I'll say this, they're playing hard for Josh Heupel. And that was what I heard coming out of fall camp was that Josh Heupel, like, the guys love playing for him. It wasn't always fun to play for Jeremy Pruitt. But they like Josh Heupel, they like the staff, they like playing for them. And I think they got their quarterback. Obviously not for, you know, a three, four-year period, But it was interesting because coming into the year, Tennessee had two transfers, Joe Milton from Michigan, Hendon Hooker from Virginia Tech. I watched both of them last year, and I actually thought it was kind of a no-brainer. I was like, well, Joe Milton is not going to win this job. Hendon Hooker is clearly the better uh, quarterback. Only Joe Milton wins the job, and he kind of really struggled, especially in that pit game, a lot of overthrows. And Hendon Hooker has come in, and he's been awesome. He's completing over 70% of his passes. 5-1 to one touchdown to interception ratio, 6 yards per carry. I think he's going to make enough plays to keep this one close. This is another one that I have in my college football picks at AaronTorresOnline.com. I think Tennessee covers the 20. As a matter of fact, I published my article. It was plus 20. It is down to 18.5. I think Tennessee scores enough. I think Florida, there's a little bit of a hangover. Not saying Florida loses this game, but I could see a 38 to. 28 type score in this game with Florida winning the game outright couple games rest of college football from this weekend let's talk about all of them first of all LSU Mississippi State I have no idea what to make of this game it's an 11 a.m. kickoff in Starkville those cowbells will be ringing it's gonna be a fascinating game Mississippi State ironically it's kind of crazy Uh, Mississippi State's defense is very much ahead of their offense right now at Mississippi State They are a team that plays real defense. They are 44th nationally in total defense, giving up less than 320 yards per game. The offense is struggling, though, and they definitely don't run the ball. 
LSU, by the way, is having a lot of trouble running the ball. What's interesting is, though, Mississippi State doesn't even try to run the ball. LSU is, and they're not having success. I'm reading reports as I record here Thursday night. Derek Stingley, the star cornerback at LSU, might not be playing in this game. And so I look at this game. I don't know what to make of it. LSU is a two-and-a-half-point favorite, and I'll just say it. I said it earlier in the show. Coach O, I'm a believer in Coach O. I, I don't believe that this thing has to fall off the rails and Coach O has to be fired. That's not what I believe at all. But what I do believe, if you're legit Coach O, if you're the guy that's going to, to you, 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 you fixed it the first time and if you're going to fix it the second time, if you're that guy, well, this is a game you kind of got to win. Kind of got to win at Mississippi State because I'm telling you, uh, Ole Miss ain't going to be easy. Alabama certainly ain't going to be easy. Arkansas? Auburn, those are good teams. This is a game, A&M. This is a game you got to win, Coach O. So no pressure, Coach O. Got to win this one. Uh, a couple other ones. First of all, ACC, Georgia Tech at NC State. Another one, no feel for. I don't think Clemson is good, but NC State plays real defense. They also turn the ball over a ton. So this is one that I, I'm just going to stay away from. I could see Clemson winning this game and covering the 10 points. I could see NC State winning this game outright and beating Clemson. I do think Clemson has more losses on their schedule. I don't think this is the game where it happens. Florida State, uh, Louisville. That one's kind of like a sneaky, interesting one. Uh, Florida State is 0-3. Mike Norvell is starting to feel the heat. Louisville, can I just say, are we getting a little too excited about Louisville based off of one game against Central Florida where they needed a pick six in the last minute to win the game? Because it feels like, like like everyone's like, oh, Louisville, they'll be fine. They're good. Scott's I'm like, I, I don't think they're good. I don't think they're good. So I wouldn't be surprised if Florida State wins this game. Definitely one I will not be betting, though. Uh, Big Ten. Interesting weekend for the Big Ten. Nebraska at Michigan State. Michigan State looked awesome against Miami. Crushed Miami. Took that turnover chain. Ripped it in half. Nebraska looked really good against Oklahoma, too. But again, it's the same thing with Nebraska. Penalties. Turnovers. Miss PATs, miss blocked PATs. And I'll say this, like, like, I want Scott Frost to work. I've talked on this show before. Nebraska was the Alabama of my childhood. Scott Frost, like, like you, you, you want an elite program? Like, at some point, you got to beat somebody on the road. Michigan State is ranked. It would be a great win for Nebraska. But I can see why Michigan State is the comfortable favorite in this one. Also in the Big Ten, another big one. Rutgers at Michigan. Same thing, Jim Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh, you want us to take you seriously. Can't lose to Rutgers, especially with Wisconsin on the road next week. And then after that, it doesn't get easier because that Big Ten East is loaded. Uh, the Big Ten East is loaded. And so if you're Michigan, you're playing Rutgers this week, it ain't going to get any easier as you play at Wisconsin, at Nebraska after that. And then you still have at Penn State, at Maryland, at Michigan State. That's five insane road games later this year. So Michigan State, you better win this one. Uh, looking at the rest of the slate, that's really it. I think we'll get out of here on that. Kentucky, South Carolina. Kentucky's kind of a tail. Like, like Kentucky is the most one of the more interesting teams in college football to me right now. Uh, three games, they've looked completely different in all three of them. Game one, Will Levis throwing the ball all over the field. Game two, it's the run game, Wandale Robinson, Chris Rodriguez. In game three, it was basically the defense which bailed them out because the offense couldn't do squat against Chattanooga last week. South Carolina, I've said it, they play hard for Shane Beamer. They are so limited offensively. Again, Kentucky, like you want to be taken seriously as a program that, uh, you know, is an upper tier SEC East team. Maybe not Georgia because Georgia's awesome. This is a game you got to win on the road. Finally, I think there was one more. Oh, Pac-12 after dark. You know, UCLA-Stanford is not a Pac-12 after dark game. But UCLA, I think they bounce back in this one. And then in Pac-12 after dark, USC, second game, first home game since they fired Clay Helton. Curious to see what kind of crowd they get. I think they win. I don't like, by the way, that they're going back to Keaton Slovis. He has not been good really since the beginning of last year. And the kid Jackson Dark came in, played really well last week. I thought they should just stick with him, but they're going back to the starter. Also, Arizona State hosting Colorado coming off their loss to BYU. All right, I think that's it for this episode of the Aaron Sports Podcast. Woke up this morning, wasn't sure exactly what I was going to talk about. Just ripped off 40 minutes. No big deal. It's what I do. Before we get out of here, I want to remind everybody, please make sure that you are subscribed to the Aaron Sports Podcast, iTunes, 
Spotify, the Podcast Addict app, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you are subscribed to the show. Make sure to rate and review the show. I appreciate all your support. We've gotten some new ratings and reviews in, so next next episode, maybe we will read a couple reviews of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. And if you want to leave your own review that gets read, make sure to do so. Um, make sure also, Aaron Torres Online, all my writing, we got a kind of a blog thing going there. Some good NFL writers, Austin Montgomery, John Frisella. What else? Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. That is all for today's episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel Who Hates My Voice. Everybody enjoy this weekend. I will be back on Monday. And I guarantee there will be no shortage of things to talk about on Monday's episode. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.